Good afternoon, everybody. I think that the team ministry is going to be going to class in the Legends class. Please uh, say goodbye to them. They are going to be learning from Logan Popic this morning. He's a great guy in the campus ministry. So lucky to have him helping with our kids. Good afternoon. My name is Gio Garces. I am Karen's husband. I've been a Christian about 24 years now. Uh, I, was, I, I, I became a Christian at age 22. And what I understood growing up as a Christian was the mission of Jesus Christ was to, was to seek and save those that are lost. Our mission in our church is to love God and to love people. We've been talking about that a lot. We've been talking a lot about this word called oikos. You may have heard it. It means extended household. It's a Greek word that's used throughout the New Testament. It basically is about, there's about 8 to 15 people that are orbiting in your world, in your life. Some are disciples, some are Christians, some are not. But they're there, and they're orbiting. And so the message of Oikos is to be aware and identify who these people are so you can love them and invest in them and help them. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I think about the mission, and I realize how powerless I can feel about this amazing opportunity to influence other people or impact their lives or because I know if they don't and we know people if they don't make a decision to turn their life around things are going to go very bad for them and we know that sometimes we feel powerless like oh if they only would change direction and apart from Jesus working in their lives we really have nothing to offer them. But the good news is, Jesus lives through us. We can share his life. We can share his love. We can share his message to our world, to our relational world. Not to give you more pressure to change people, but instead to give you more and more power to walk in the steps of Jesus and be a person who's influential with the people that are around you. The reason I say this is because some of us sit here, we're Christians, but we're not living with a life of purpose. We're not living intentionally. And my my statement today is, there's a better life than the one you're currently living. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're sitting here as a disciple going, well, Gio, we've we've been waiting for you to tell us. Maybe you've been doing that. There is a better life than the one you're living. I'm gonna show you a slide here with that phrase on it. In the Gospel of Mark, there's four Gospels in the Bible. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke and John. And they each are different writers with a different audience, with different intentions to get a message of who Jesus is. So they're different and, and, we're, and thank goodness they're different. Otherwise, they'd be plagiarism all over the place. It's a good thing they're different. In Mark's gospel, it's very action-oriented. It's very this. There's not a lot of background. Go here immediately. Do this. He did this. Matthew has a lot of background. Luke has a lot of geographical sites. But we're going to look at the gospel of Mark because it's a really great place to start when we're talking about the message of Jesus and what to do with this message. And in the book of Mark, it starts up in chapter 1, verse 16. By verse 14... John the Baptist is already out of the picture. He's the forerunner to Jesus. So we read this text in Mark chapter 1. 
It reads, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will, make ye, I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they got a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. My first point this, this afternoon is that Jesus' invitation was intentional. John was baptizing, and, and now he's in prison, and John was the forerunner to Jesus, and Jesus takes his cue to begin his ministry. Now, after John and, and Jesus interact at the, the, the Jordan River, Jesus leaves the Jordan area and he goes back up to Galilee. Now, it's not that Jesus was afraid of anybody or anything because he knows in three years' time he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to go die. He knows that. But he's intentional about going to Galilee because there he is going to be intentional about recruiting his first disciples. And he decides to choose some fishermen. In fact, he decides to ask two sets of brothers to come and join him on this amazing, amazing mission. Now, I don't know about you, but fishermen that I know, it's a blue-collar job. They're out there on the seven seas. Sometimes it was a family heritage. Sometimes it was a trade that was handed down from father to son. You know, Jesus' dad, Joseph, he was a carpenter, and he taught Jesus a, a thing or two about carpentry. Not everyone was clamoring to be a fisherman. I don't even think we have a fisherman in this church. Not even rushing the ocean to sign up to be a fisherman. Most of you know that I aspire to be a fisherman. I aspire to, to sail the seven seas. And I found out very quickly that I was not meant to be a fisherman on the sea. What I discovered about myself was I discovered I'm a fisherman but I'm a fisherman on a very small lake. I can fish there. Or in fact, a very slow moving creek. I can fish there. But I realized that I'm not, I can never be a fisherman out in the seven seas. That's why I consider myself a creek fisherman. There are fishermen on the beach of Galilee and Jesus sees them. And there's nothing compelling about these fishermen that would attract Jesus to them. They're not uniquely gifted. They're not uniquely trained. They didn't go through some academia school of rabbis. There's nothing attractive about fishermen. They're stinky. They smell. They're rude. They're crude. They sail the seven seas. And these are the men that are going to spend time with the very Son of God. And Jesus goes to them. And so we look at the grid of Jesus. And Paul gives us, gives us his insight into Jesus' grid and what he's looking for. He's looking for everyone, but he has, there's a little grid here that, that'll make a point of why the fishermen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it reads, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Think of what you were. Now, many were not of no, wise by human standards or were influential or weren't of noble birth. Sometimes, you know, we, meet, we can meet people and we start thinking to ourselves, man, they make an awesome Christian. I mean, my brother, I mean, he takes care of, he takes care, care of like, children up to 18 who have no mother and father, who are deaf and have disabilities. And I'm always like, why is he not a Christian? He'd be the most amazing Christian. Sometimes I feel that way, and we can feel that way about someone because they live similarly to the Bible. Or maybe you know someone who has great influence, who's, man, that guy can, that guy can influence other people. He's so charismatic and he's amazing. He'd be a great Christian, maybe even a minister. Or maybe you come across people who are gifted. They're artists, they're musicians, they're athletes, they're tech savvy. They have 7,000 followers on Instagram. Wow, the platform. It's amazing what they can do if they were a Christian. But what's fascinating about Jesus is that he goes and finds people who don't have any of those qualities. He looks for people who don't have much to offer. Thank God. Come <laughs> on. Thank you, Jesus. He goes looking for people who don't have it all together. And this is the grid that Paul is writing about. They, not many of them are wise by human standards or influential or noble. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, what Jesus is looking for are vessels. Vessels that are empty. Vessels that are broken. Vessels that are weak. Vessels that are foolish. Vessels that don't have it all together. So he can come in and build them. He doesn't necessarily is attracted to the vessels who is all already full of stuff, who think they have life going great for them. They don't need God. He's looking for vessels that are empty and searching. He's not looking for people who have it all together. He's looking for people who, do, who recognize that they don't. That's who he's looking for. When he first started this, his mission, he was giving people the heads up. Hey, guys. The Messiah is here. The good news. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe this good news. This long-awaited Messiah. It's here. I'm here. And he announces this amazing good news. And we as Christians today are living in this age. It's the same age. He hasn't returned yet. So this is the age we're living in. It's the same message. Repent and believe the good news. This is not the Old Testament waiting for the Messiah. He's come. And it's real. And we're living in that age because he's not looking for people who think they have it all together. So if these are the people that Jesus is looking for, then maybe these are the people we should be looking for in our world. 
I mean, God has placed them supernaturally in your life, strategically in your life. There are marriages right now that are dying. There are marriages that only are married until their kids turn 20 and go to college so they can leave. They don't want to cause trauma. There are marriages where people sleep in separate bedrooms. There are families where children are just rebelling. There are single adults who are living a life with no purpose. They're just bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. It's the tender world we live in. Men and women are, are grown up without their dad, without their mom. Step-parents who didn't love them. That is extremely painful. Or maybe they had a father, but he was absent. He was there, but he wasn't there. Extremely painful. There are men and women who've been destroyed by sexual abuse. Their world will never be the same. It's altered forever. There are people who have addictions. They just can't seem to get out of the bondage. There are people who are in financial debt and it makes them so scared. These are their issues. That is their brokenness. Their emptiness. They don't have anything attractive that would draw Jesus to them. But Jesus is drawn to the broken. He's drawn to the empty people. And it's tough sometimes when I, when I say all that. It's tough because these are people that we, that we do life with. And sometimes their struggle becomes our burden. And it's hard. I have relatives who are addicted to drugs. And it's hard. And it's burdensome. And it weighs heavy on my heart. When to help. How to help. Sometimes I don't even have the answer. But let me tell you. I think they're there because God wants us to love them through us. That's why they're there. Yeah, they're difficult and they're not, you know, influential or amazing. But it's the people that are in our world that God wants us to love. And he wants to love them through us. And I find that amazing. My second point about this past is that Jesus' invitation is, is one of multiplication, not addition. Here's what I mean. Let's look at that scripture. As you walk beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew, sets of brothers, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Mark does not get into the background. It almost reads like Jesus shows up and he says, fish for people. And all of a sudden, you know, a pre-DNA destined phrase that like when God, when they were born, that when you hear this phrase, you will obey. Fish for people. And they turn into some kind of robot. Fish for people. It is now activated. It almost reads that way. Like he shows up. Come follow me. Fish for me. And then you're like, yes. Yes. It almost reads kind of weirdly like that. If you look at it. But there's other gospels that give you more information. And in, in the gospel of John, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. In John 1, he, they actually see John and Jesus. And John tells his disciples... Hey, hey, 
You can't follow me anymore. That's the Lamb of God. Follow Him. So they already had an understanding of who Jesus was. When He shows up, and He's like, that's, that's, that's the guy John told us to follow. So when He calls them, they come. That's a little bit of the background of that passage. I always chuckle when I read it because it's just so hilarious. Here's what's interesting about addition and multiplication. Jesus never says to drop your nets and follow him so you don't go to hell. He never says, drop your nets so you'll go to, so you go to heaven. Because that would just be addition. You are now added to God's kingdom and you're done. Welcome by addition. He says, follow me and I'll send you out to be people of mission and purpose. I will send you out to change the world. That's what Jesus was going to do. They would be literally his representatives to the world. Because Jesus' message would exponentially grow because they would bring his message with them. And what's that message, you may ask? Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love people. Love God and love those around you. And where do we take this message? We take this message to the people that God has put in our life. You know, oftentimes we consider this um, amazing saving gospel of Jesus. And we make it about the person. You get to be right with God. You get to spend eternity in heaven. That's true. Everything starts there. But the message was never intended to stop there. Here's the why. From the very beginning, we've been rescued to rescue. That's the why. That's his message. I'm going to rescue you so you can rescue others. You're going to become saved to be part of someone else's salvation story. He never intended for the disciples just to listen to him and say, listen here, I'm going to blow your mind with spiritual truth. Wait, I'm going to show you a miracle that you can't explain. Wait, guys, just hang out with me and be in the presence of God. Those things were going to happen, but they were never the point. Because it wasn't about addition. It was about the mission. That's what it was about. His strategy wasn't one of addition. Where everyone who has to receive the gospel had to hear it from the mouth of Jesus himself. No. Addition was never the mission. It was never to keep the gospel for yourself. It was always about taking it to your world and allowing the power of God to change those in your world. That was the strategy. That was the mission. So why don't we? Why don't we? Why doesn't we just go on gut instinct all the time? 
Why do, you, why do we need to be told to do that? Or inspired to do it? Or convicted to do it? To go out and be people of influence? I think it comes down to a key idea. In order to be a fisher of men, in order for you to go and engage your spiritual world and relational world, you have to let go of your agenda and embrace his. In order to pick up Jesus' nets, you're going to have to let go of yours. It's a simple idea. Love God, love your neighbor. But it takes an extraordinary amount of humility. Because it's our pride that keeps our net. Wait, 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 wait. Exchange nets. It takes a lot of humility to let go of our nets. But the invitation helps us prioritize our life. It helps you make sense of what matters and what doesn't. That's the difference. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. What a dramatic account that is. He describes their response. Here's James and John, two brothers. Hey, Pop. Hey, Pop. Yeah. Hey. See you, man. I'm out. It's been fun. It's been great. What would cause or motivate men to be so bold as to walk away from their livelihood, as to walk away from their identity, is to walk away from their profession. I think two ideas. One, it was the nature of the invitation. It was one of purpose. It was one of significance. He was inviting them to literally change the world. I know we, we often are, we get preoccupied with our comfort, with our routine. We, we actually like it. It's actually a good thing. It's not bad. But we like to know what's coming. It's like gravity. We like to sink into that expected routine. Like tonight, Sunday night, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to come home. I'm going to feed the kids chicken. I'm going to feed them some beans. We're probably going to watch some Netflix. Maybe watch Supernatural. Hopefully it scares them a little bit into the fake. You know, I'm just kidding. But there's a routine we have. Monday night, we have, Tuesday. We, it's, it's comfort. We know. Karen's making, you know, nachos on Thursday. We got it. It's it's settled. We look forward to that. But I also know this. I also know you. And I know that when someone gives you an invitation for you to do something that matters, I know it speaks to something deep in your soul and you get excited about. I know it. Just in general, when someone speaks to you about something that matters, you get excited about that. I know because I felt it. I felt it on November, in November of 2008 when Cody Kaufman, our friend, was killed at the borderline shooting in Thousand Oaks along with 12 others. I know. I felt it. And what I felt was we have to do something 
for all these families that lost their daughters and sons and nieces and nephews and fathers. Something has to be done. And what started as just a, let's just do something for Cody and invite his family and go to the park and maybe get a few Christians together. We were thinking 20, 30 people. And so we invited them. You know what they did? It was, they quickly started sharing the Facebook posts and we had over 450 shares of our little vigil for Cody. Just to them, it wasn't about addition. It was about multiplication. And, on the, and, then, and then someone invited the sheriff. I didn't invite the sheriff. Someone invited the sheriff of Ventura County. I got to invite the assemblywoman of our state to come. The state senator. They started coming. Someone invited those guys. Over 1,300 people came. There was about maybe 30 Christians there. And all these people, because it was never about addition. Because when something moves you, it's about multiplication. It prioritizes your life. It focuses you. We got to worship and sing songs with yeah. about 1,200 people from the neighborhood. McDonald's was giving us stuff for free. Yeah. It was crazy. McDonald's, they always want something. People donating more water than we could drink. Yeah. I went over to Marie Callender's because I knew Cody worked there. Me and Josh pulled up and says, hey. She goes, I know, I know Cody. I know. We're going to have a video. Can, can you donate something? 20 Marie Callender pies. And I didn't even take one. <laughs> I was tempted. But I didn't take one. There was 20. Maybe Josh took one. I don't know. <laughs> But when, when you're invited to something with purpose, when you're invited to something with significance, it moves you. It's not about addition anymore. It's not about you just coming to your church and you getting fed and you being encouraged and all about you, you. That's great. But it was never about addition. It's always about multiplication. And when you're excited about something, it prioritizes your life. As long as you're going to settle for a, an agenda that's just about getting by, as opposed to the one that will never end, then you're holding on tightly to nets that you cannot hold simultaneously with the one Jesus wants to exchange with you. Because Jesus wants to trade nets. But your nets and his nets don't go together. They're actually in conflict. It has to start with you releasing your net, releasing your agenda and laying it down for something infinitely better. And some of you are like, yeah, but others are like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 Gio. I'm not so sure that's truly better. And we start getting a little fearful. Wait, wait, wait Jesus, if I drop my nets and exchange it, what are you going to do with my life? Might have to hold a sign with the, with the wood thing and march around and what does that mean for my life? Because I think in our minds we have a picture of Jesus in our mind, like 
It's been over the years we've developed this caricature, this picture of Jesus in our minds. And then when we read the Bible, read the book of Mark, we realize hey, maybe, there's a, maybe there's a different Jesus than the one I'm thinking about in my head. Because when you compare the real Jesus, when you compare the real Jesus to anything, it pales in, in comparison. It pales. Because it's not a very accurate picture of the real Jesus that's in our mind. And if I ask you to trust Jesus, if I ask you to trust His agenda for your life, and you shrink back to your own agenda, that tells me something. You don't know the Jesus we're talking about in the Bible. Because what are you saying? Jesus says, follow me. I will give you life to the full and with abundance. That's what he said. You follow me, you'll live a full life. Abundantly. Now, I don't think you're going to live in the lottery. It's not what he says. But you will live an abundant, full life. Because remember, this world is not our home. The problem that Christians make is they live for this world and they're disappointed and disgruntled, as you should be. Because this is not our home. It's a stopping ground. I didn't realize at that age 20. But at age 47, I'm realizing I'm going to be going for the dirt nap sooner than I realize. It's not my home. Don't live for this. And many of us here, we've tested Jesus. And when you know that when you follow him, it's true. Some of us, we go, hey, I've, I've, he's, that's right, man. I've, I, I've tested Jesus. And I've seen it. And you're like, yes. Yes, I've been there. I've done that. Because the real Jesus is so compelling. He's just so compelling. That everything else pales in comparison. There's a better life. Than the one you're living right now. Our church is headed in a mission, intentional, purposeful, multiplication type ministry. That's where we're going. This lesson today will be discussed in your small groups this week. So we'll get to, we'll get to discuss it more. And then in the following weeks, we're going to be discussing the Oikos principle. And how you can be a person with significance and purpose. Because there is a better life than the one you're living. And I pray that we can all be on a mission to save our world. Let's pray together.